Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried War Gaming, where two guys who are qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode, well, Christmas has passed, but winter has come. Uh, we're going to be heading back to the world rest of the rose to give a little chat about a game called A Song of Ice and Fire, which we have talked far too much about already, and nope. will not be stopping. Correct. God, it needs to stop being good, and I'll stop talking about it. <laughs> we actually, we've been wanting to do this episode for a little while, but we got a message from a viewer, shout out to House Lemur, uh, who found us on Instagram, um, but they wanted more Song of Ice and Fire content, and... Uh, By I, golly, we'll give it to them. <laughs> yeah, you get what you want. <sighs> so, this episode, we're going to be doing a faction overview for a faction of the game that I have been playing a lot of. Uh, and that's the Night's Watch. Uh, it's actually the faction that brought me into the game to give it a whirl. And I've recently been playing a ton of games with them. Uh, and now I feel like I have played enough games to have a decent grip on how the faction works broadly. Um, it helps that like we're not going to get into the weeds about like win percentages and like deep tournament tactics and all that. But... I have more than enough experience to at least give you a fun little breakdown of the faction themselves. Uh, but before we can do that, we got to talk about hobby time and games played. Alright, John. Uh, Christmas has passed for us, uh, but what you been up to hobby-wise? Uh, many hobby brother. So, for Christmas, I got the, like, Slaves to Darkness box that has, like, the Ogroids Ooh. and the Chosen and, like, the new Demon Prince on it. The big fancy pre-release box. Yes, so, like... You got that special edition limited soft matte codex. You're shitting in high cotton. Yes. I, uh, yeah. You got it's the best really double wide so trailer and the whole damn trailer park. Yeah, it's real soft on my bum bum. But, <laughs> uh, so I put together all of that. I finished the, my super secret special project. Um, once I got back to Kentucky from Ohio, I escaped Zinch's realm and built the entire box. The chosen are a little bit more difficult to put together than I expected. And I primed it all, got it all ready to be painting and then painted the entirety of one of the units and we'll be continually working on the rest. I'm trying to get Slaves of Darkness done by the end of January because I have a grand desire to play them. But, yeah, it's it's been good. I really enjoyed this, this book and this army. And uh, I think it's staying as one of my staples. I think I'm going to be keeping it next to Skaven. And then uh, don't know about Beast of Chaos yet. Depending on how the new boxes, I might be yeeting them out of the three rotation. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Um, I I think the Slaves to Darkness book for Age of Sigmar might be one of the best books they've ever produced in terms of, like, design quality. I mean, every little sub-faction has really cool stuff in it, 
and there's just so many build options between the marks and uh, actual units and sub-factions layering on top of that. It's just got depth for days, and uh, I think that book is going to age like fine wine. Yeah, like it is a puzzle to complete for my Johnny brain, and I really enjoy it. Like I am just mixing and matching all sorts of stuff, and you know, having access to a 3D printer allows me to do a lot of conversion stuff. Like, I can make my own cult bands. I can make my own court, like, like some of the older models, like Chaos Sorcerer on Manticore. Like, I can make my own. Yeah. Plus, the, the this starter box, or, like, pre-release box, whatever, came with so many extra bits. Like, a plethora of bits that I am... Oh, no. I've got so many things I can use to, like, really flesh out and make unique things, which I'm very excited about. Anything but wonderful bits... Yes. Bitty bits. Many bits. And That's plus, awesome. I need to play Chaos Knights in two different settings, so... Yeah, these are just tiny Chaos Knights. Yeah. Tiny, yeah. big Chaos Knights. That makes sense in my brain. Um, yeah, I'm glad they're going well, but I will admit, I looked at the Chosen and went, man, those are beautiful models. And somewhere deep in my soul went, those are probably a bitch to put together. Like I just sometimes you look at a sculpt from Games Workshop and you just know that that sprue is gonna have like one finger separate from the other four fingers and it's gonna be a sliver that runs up the forearm and like one spike yes. needs to go on on its own. You're correct. Like that was actually one of the bits. Was like it was a hand that had three fingers that were a separate piece and like things, but that one wasn't that hard to put together. Uh, but it was it was worth it. It's an it's enjoyable, and it's a ten man a ten man unit is like four hundred eighty points. So I don't need any more. Like I, d I don't need more chosen. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's some like design reason why they do it. But I spend my work days in CAD all day, and even I have to look at these brews and question: Did you really have to slice them like that? Like, there's there no other point in which you could slice them. Oh, at least you got them together. That's what counts. Absolutely. Um, also, their swords are really cool. Like, I'm just going to take a second and talk about the swords on these dudes. This is now um, a sword podcast. Yeah, so, like, the swords on them are very, very cool. And, like, when I'm holding swords is neat. But what's cooler is when their swords are on their back, and you see this throughout, like, the knights and the warriors. Like, I really enjoy when they put different armaments on the backs of some of these warriors. So I feel like a lot of Age of Sigmar models are like, they're holding their weapons on. Like, they've got a spear and a sword. That's it. But like, mm -hmm. when they have like their shield on their back because they're holding something, like it's, it feels dynamic. It's very exciting. Um, and I genuinely think like these knight sculpts, these warrior sculpts, these chosen sculpts are some of the best things GW's ever made. Oh yeah, hard to agree. Um, For line troops, they're amazing. And I cannot rush through them. Like, I am taking my time and painting individual details instead of, like, the Skaven mode where I'm just like, eh, brown and metal and bleh. Yeah, I think they got the right... They hit sort of the the midpoint on just the right amount of uh, dynamicism. There's a word here that my brain's not giving me, but they're just dynamic enough to be cool. Uh, without being too much to be, like, jumping off of tactical rocks and spinning in the air and stuff. 
which for battle line can sometimes get too much. And it also makes them a barrel of monkeys. Um, all of the Chaos Warriors looks like they are in motion, but not in ridiculously so. And to be honest, painting these is a joy. Whereas, like, I've played Chaos in both factions, uh, both settings. Painting the Chaos Warriors in Age of Sigmar feels really good. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of difference in the different textures, and there's, like, details to paint that you kind of always feel like you're doing something new with the model. When you're doing, like, Chaos Space Marines in 40K, it feels like you're painting trim forever because you kind of are. <laughs> I mean, especially if you play Thousand Sun, uh, then you are painting trim forever. Yes. Like, it is a distinct difference, and I really enjoy that. And I think it's really helping me, like, push up my painting with this force a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm still leaning on a certain crutch, and I think that's going to stay for a while because it's very good. It's enamel paints. And, ha, huh, enamel washes, man. I'm telling you, streaking grime. It's magic. Yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. But I did try to do some glazing, and that really helped. So nice. Yeah, it's it's been a good time. Well, for me, uh, I holy crap, I have done a lot of hobby. Um, so I mentioned sort of briefly in the last show that like, oh, there's a new World of Warcraft expansion, so people aren't hobbying, and like that's in our play group. That's true quite a bit <laughs> like there are very few people on discord or anything so for the past couple weeks i have just been hobbying alone for the vast majority of my time and taking it as a <clears throat> sort of challenge to see how much i can get done even without any support and uh it has gone shockingly well i finished up a five-man unit of blood knights for my wife and i's uh sort of combo project army and they are done done now Got all the armor done, the leather bits, the metal, washing, the whole Kit Kat and Caboodle, even pen washing. And uh, got them on bases, and then she based them. Uh, she also finished her 60-man blob of zombies and based all of those. And she based, like, put actual, like, mud-textured stuff on the Blood Knights. Turned out yes. really well. Um your wife is an inspiration for productivity. Yeah, she just knocking it out, sort of piece by piece. Uh, and I think it helps that anytime I hobby, she's like, well, damn, now I have to hobby. And then when she hobbies, I'm like, damn, now I gotta go hobby. Like, getting 60 zombies done is a significant feat. It, it's a slog for some of us. Like, I hate painting giant hordes. But for her, that's her fun. Like, that's the comfort zone. So she just knocked them out in, uh, like, under a month. It was... Really impressive. You said comfort zone, but in my brain, I imagined your wife wearing pit vipers, listening to Danger Zone while just like violently painting zombies. Yeah, uh, she hates pit vipers. Oh, she'll love that when she hears it. Then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I <laughs> joked about getting pit vipers for John and I, and uh, she damn near vomited. And it, it's we're holler brawling about it over here, y'all. Uh, how dare she besmirch the vipers? But yeah, that's been going <laughs> incredible. I'm going to get painting pit vipers now. Little magnified yes. goggles on the front. Yes. Um, and then I, I don't know. I just wanted to keep going because everybody else wasn't on Discord. Well, I'll just do it myself. 
and pulled out ARC Troopers and then got them painted up in two nights, I think, two or three nights of painting, just a couple hour sessions each. So I pulled up the ARC Troopers, got them primed, zenithaled them, hit all the details, did the free handing, did the markings, uh, and then got them washed, uploaded those to Instagram, which went really, really well. Uh, and got a lot of traction. Those got like 80 likes, I think, or something, wherever they're at now. And it's also how we found House Lemur <laughs> reached out to us. So uh, that was a very wonderful project. And I will admit for like the ARC Troopers and the next unit, I'm going to say I finished uh, in this time. A lot of this inspiration came because of the Christmas present I got my wife. Uh, I bought tickets to a, uh, a symphony orchestra where we got to go and they played the full unabridged episode seven Star Wars movie and then did all of the musical accompaniment straight through with this beautiful, beautiful orchestra in person. Uh, and holy cow, it was incredible. Uh, it was, you know, one of the coolest things that I've had the privilege of getting to see and they just killed it. And, uh, like having an orchestra play such a beautiful composition is delightful. And uh, I walked out super, super inspired. So uh, I, could, I just grabbed the ARC Troopers and just started painting. And I got them done. And then uh, it was on a Friday night. Well, again, no one's on Discord. So I hopped in the paint channel by myself for a couple of hours. Which, like, on one hand, a little sad. But on the other... You just sort of zone out, and I ran with it. So uh, in one sitting, I took a bark speeder, which is like a a speeder with a sidecar and like a mounted laser gun turret, and uh, got it primed, got it zenithaled, did all of the detailing, did the freehand and the marking, and then washed it as well as its uh, pilots in one sitting. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about the solitary painting vibe. Mm -hmm. I'll get into that every once in a while where I'm like, oh, I can't sleep. I'm just going to put on like an hour long like podcast or like video or like a documentary or something and just paint for a bit and then like refocus. It's almost meditative at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just turn on something to watch, something to listen to and, uh, you know, you're at it. And I, I was... So running high off the symphony. So like I'd get to a point and I'm like, all right, I'll stop and I'll go play video games. I'd walk away, get a drink, come back. You know, I don't, I don't want to play video games. I'm going to keep painting. All right. Now it's ready. The last step is just wash. I'm just going to stop. It's like 1230 at night. Like I should definitely stop. You know, actually, never mind. I can just go ahead and come back and do that wash real quick. Like I was, I was up late. But uh-huh. by God, that mini was done in one evening. Which really worked out because I then got to play uh, Star Wars Legion with my lovely lady wife. Uh, like, she doesn't game very often. And one of the things she wants to do in the new year is try to play games more. So we did the thing. And I took my almost entirely painted clone army and put it on the table against her rebels. With uh, Jen Urso and Sabine Wren leading them. As well as some like Mandos and a couple of rebel troopers. And it ended up being a clone victory, but it was a really fun time to throw, like, almost an entirely painted army on the table of clones. The only exception was uh, Captain Rex, which is one of the last two models I have unpainted for clones. Like, my 
my Star Wars Legion hobby backlog is non-existent, which is a really cool feeling. Gonna have to buy more clones. I, I am. I'm not at a full 800 points yet. I I done ran out of model. Gotta get more model. Oh no. But yeah, uh, it been a very productive time. And uh, I also played some A Song of Ice and Fire. So I got my next League match in. And that was a... That gave me some inspiration for an episode, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, I played a guy who I did not bring a super tuned up list. And he did bring a highly tuned up list. And it made for a, a weird experience. But there were some conversations afterward that made it really interesting. Um, like, no bad blood or anything. But, like, it was a an interesting touch point for a thing we've talked about before uh, and sort of like setting expectations. And he is new to this gaming club and this league and these players. So he had an expectation from his previous experience and it did not quite match up with what was here. <laughs> uh, he came from a place where everyone played hyper tuned up competitive lists and then came here sort of subconsciously expecting the same. And just finding that it's not the case. So, like, there was a cool conversation had about that afterwards. So, that might actually just become an episode topic. Um, but, yeah, got a couple of games in, painted a ton of minis, and now I am sort of hyped up and ready to go for the new year. It's been great. And uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that one of my projects in the new year is going to be painting some more of these here Nightwatch guys that I've been playing the league with. So... Let's talk about that. All right, John. Uh, I think for a faction breakdown, I've done a lot of pondering about it. And I think our breakdowns for A Song of Ice and Fire are going to follow the same template, just apply to different factions. So generally speaking, I think it's important to, one, talk about how they act like, what is the fantasy for the faction in the right. lore and in the books? Because let's be honest, like, most people got into Game of Thrones for either the books or the show. The story is what pulled you into it. And for these factions, they're kind of built around those tales. Heavily so. So, like, if someone is thinking about getting into the faction, like, we feel it's kind of important to, to talk about that. Because it might really help determine where your vibes are. Um, and then we're going to get into sort of how they play on the tabletop. Again, call back to that there fantasy for the actual faction. And then uh, lastly, a, a discussion on how to get into the faction if you're really into them. Uh, I think this format is still, like, obviously this is the first one we're doing for Song of Ice and Fire, but I think it's pretty good. But uh, please, if y'all have, like, feedback on changes we can make, let us know. We'll implement it for the next factions. We love like, feedback. I think this also benefits the way you get into A Song of Ice and Fire, right? Like, for me, the game feels very organic in the buy starter set and then figure it out from there. Whereas a lot of other games aren't that way. And this is similar, right? Like, all you need to know to go out and buy the starter box is, like, what are they in the setting? Do they fit that flavor on the tabletop? What the, and what are the rules like compared to what you want out of it? And then how do? Yes. Right? 
So this yeah. is mostly for newer folks, maybe newer to faction or new to the game, which I'm assuming a lot of people are going to be newer to the game. It's not an extremely popular game. Yes. But uh, I think you should play it. I really do. Like, if if you have interest in this game, any interest in the idea of playing this on the table, I highly recommend it. Like, we've talked, we've put out a couple of episodes about A Song of Ice and Fire as a game in general. Go back and listen to them if you're, like, kind of interested. But, like, TLDR, it's very well made. It's very affordable. And they're customer friendly with their boxes. So, like, I, it, it's I very would go, easy to pitch. I would go far enough to say that this and Star Wars Legion are probably the two games I would look at you and go, if you want to get into wargaming, pick one of these two games, depending if you like Star Wars or you like fantasy, and go with that. Like, don't pick Age of Sigmar, don't pick 40K. Like, those are kind of more advanced. Like, mm-hmm. and they're more expensive. Like, the rules are more dense, they can be overwhelming, but like playing one of these other games will make playing one of those games easier because you'll learn concepts here. Yeah, I think it's a little more forgiving and a little more streamlined, which helps. Uh, but if you're newer, like, and you've, let's say you've listened to either, you know, our podcast on the show and decided you want to get in, maybe you watched Miniac's uh, video about A Song of Ice and Fire, decided you wanted to get in, but you're sort of hesitant on factions and you just googled Nightwatch overview and you found us like we want to go ahead and just give you the slice of generally how the Nightwatch are from a general perspective to help you know if maybe that's your army or not so for the lore first and foremost in the setting westeros you could think of largely as this big continent of uh sort of I'd say largely European factions warring in these like little petty skirmishes for power. Like that's a very simplistic explanation, but that is the general idea of most of the factions that they are working for some king or some lord to try to increase their standing in this political war. You know, there's a, Everyone wants the throne. They're going to war for the throne. Mm-hmm. The Night's Watch are separate from all of this, which makes them interesting. The Night's Watch are beholden to no king. In the setting, uh, at the very northern end of the continent, when you go up into the snowy, icy wastes, uh, there is a colossal wall that is thousands of feet high of ice. That is meant to protect the southern realms from the monstrous icy horrors of the northern frozen wastes. And this wall has been there forever. Like from your grandpappy's, 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 grandpappy's days. Like way, way, way back thousands of years ago. There's like mythology about how this wall got there. But the Night's Watch job is to man this wall and to guard it for eternity. They are hardened men who are sent, who either choose to go north or are sentenced to the wall, vowing to man it for their entire life and have no life outside of protecting it. Uh, That is the core of who they are. And I think like the best way to get that idea 
is I'll just quickly like read the vowel and this will come back in the mechanics. But when you get to the wall, um, whether you chose to go there and volunteer for service or you were sentenced to the wall because you committed terrible crimes down south, whether you were a thief or like in the book, a lot of them are thieves, bandits, uh, rapists, uh, like eighth sons who stole money from their lord or committed some political crime. And they weren't bad enough to just be outright executed, but, you know, you want them gone. So they send them to the wall. And when you get there, you are in this bare bones, dark castle in this frozen hellscape. Uh, and you have to uh, take a vow for what the rest of your life is going to be. And I think you get the kind of the heart of the faction just from the vow itself. So... Forgive me, I am not a professional actor. Um, but I think the vow, one, it will come back in mechanics, but two, really pitches them well. Yeah, I think it's the defining feature in the setting, right? Like, other than, you know, being dudes in Gamesons that are really cold on, like, a wall with, like, cool swords. Like, that's their aesthetic, but, like, where they fit in narratively is, like, that knight's code almost like mono like monk like order in a way like yeah they're sort of like warrior monks and yeah here I, i'm just gonna read the vow real quick i got it pulled up uh and it'll kind of get to the heart of it night gathers and now my watch begins it shall not end until my death i shall take no wife hold no lands father no children i shall wear no crowns and win no glory i shall live and die at my post I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher of the walls. I am the fire that burns against the cold, the light that brings the dawn, that horn that wakes the sleepers, and the shield that guards the realms of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch for this night and all nights to come. And like, that's all of them. <laughs> they are dedicated, lifelong, gar like wardens of the realm. And as yeah, you can and, imagine, that makes for some pretty hard folk. Yeah, and it, I think a, a good distinction, too, like having read the books and like watched the show, the big distinction is they don't, aren't like a... like. There's a lot of allegory you can make to real world in a lot of that. They're not like, oh, I'm like walking this thin white line on the wall or whatever. They're like, no, my whole job here is to basically blow a horn when danger comes and sit here and wait and fight until I die so that the other army show up to solve the problem. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's, it's pretty dark when you like really get into it that they don't expect to live. They don't expect to have lives. Like they, they expect to live and die on this ice pillar. Yeah. I mean, there's no good outcome for them and it gives them all this like really interesting gallows humor in the books. Because some of them are, like, terrible people. <laughs> some of the... A lot, most of them are sort of middling people. Uh, and a few of them are really good people. And it makes for this, like, weird interplay where they are all bonded because they know that they are in the shit perpetually. Yeah. Like, your best day on the wall is, hey, the bread at lunch wasn't rock hard. And uh, I was only up there getting frostbite for, like, six hours. What a day. Yeah, they're dealing with a perpetual siege. 
Like it is interesting as a concept. It's very, it's very good. Yeah. And, uh, like for many soldiers in the realms, uh, of game of Thrones, they don't war very often, or at the least, like they don't do battle very often. If you're just your average foot troop somewhere, you probably don't have a lot of actual battle experience because for a long time in the realms, there hasn't been very much outright war. Some small skirmishes, but like for most of the setting, since the fall of the Targaryens, there's been a long period where there just hasn't been a lot of constant battle, which means that for many of the soldiers, they are fairly inexperienced. But for the Night's Watch, the fight never stops. Uh, like, every one of them are experienced and grizzled warriors, and they're able to win unlikely battles through grit and determination. Uh, and it's a very cool flavor to watch these people who, in their previous lives, may have been horrific, now being forced to go above and beyond for the realm itself, even if that's not why they went there. And uh, there are many, many instances in the book where they're outnumbered and sort of numerically short lose, but they end up pulling it out anyway. Uh, that will come back in how they play on the tabletop. Uh, but also, like, you have to think about what they are defending this wall against. Uh, at the easiest thing that they can repel are these, like, huge, are, like, fur-covered experienced uh, woodsmen, they call them like barbarians and wildlings. But these are highly fit warriors who are able to scale this ice wall and try to make it into the southern lands. And that's their easiest people to repel. Uh, some of them, like just to put it into perspective how horrifying they are, uh, some of them are cannibals who like draw power from the corpses of the people that they eat and they wear their bones, uh, using Red. like dark shamanistic magic to get buffs and whatnot. Uh, others are able to possess the minds of animals and use those to attack you and the wall itself because also they Red. have like druidic abilities. Uh, also, sometimes they bring monsters like mammoths and giants to help them. And all also, you have to right. fight them is like a sword. <laughs> and uh, those are the easiest ones because what's what the reason they're coming to the wall is because up north, there are undead ice zombies possessed by malignant spirits from ye on ancient era resurrecting like dark spirits and dragons and ice spiders that they ride like giant horses. Yes. The wall is hellacious. <laughs> like, yes. And you're a dude who got caught stealing bread and now that's who you're fighting. Congratulations. Yeah. God, it's so sad, but so cool. So, so cool. Um, and it does have a lot of really interesting touchstone characters that people really enjoy. I mean, namely, like, probably the most popular secondary character. Well, I mean, he, I would argue he's a primary character, I guess. But Jon Snow himself goes to the Night's Watch. Um, 
So you get a lot of time there, even if you just watch the show instead of like reading the books. Uh, but you also have Maester Aemon, uh, Corrin Halfhand, Donald Noy, Gior Mormont, uh, Pipar, Grimm. Uh, there are a lot of cool named characters up here in this faction. And like those touchstones, I will just go ahead and bury the lead. Uh, are really executed well on the tabletop. I've been playing in a league with these guys, and uh, just in the league alone, I've played... Wait, game six? Yeah, six. Um, and then, as well as some warm-up games before the league, and then all of the games I played with our group and against my wife, like, I've played over a dozen matches with these guys at various list combinations. And uh, so I'd say I have a decent amount of experience. But everything I just described hits the tabletop almost exactly how I would want it to. Um, I do have a question about the setting, though, with Night's Watch. Yeah. How do you make sense in your head of these guys fighting on the wall? Like, when you fight against Free Folk, that makes sense. But what happens when you fight, like, Lannisters or, like, Starks or, like, Greyjoys? Like, the Greyjoys actually can kind of make sense because of raiding and stuff, but, like... What about other factions, like Baratheons? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. Um, but I think a lot of that you can get away with largely because of... I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers. Uh, but there is an event which makes the Night Watch have a little bit of freedom to move around some. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and when that event happens... Uh, they are sort of left a little scattered. And I would imagine like they're all not just going to be like, hey, y'all, battle brothers who I have fought with for decades. Deuces. Like, <laughs> they're probably going to keep going to war together because it's what they do. And then as things devolve, it gets messy. Yes, terribly messy. Like, what is... God, I can't talk about it without getting to spoilers. But like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Or I could very much see a lot of explanation as like people want the wall once they find out what is happening in the setting because they don't trust the Night's Watch to take it well to hold it or they're trying to like forcibly almost coup the Night Watch to now be beholden to their faction kind of yes, thing to work for their king because the Night Watch is independent by nature yeah uh, but if you're someone like the Lannisters who want nobody independent that could be a problem or you're Baratheon and you don't want anything you can get for power. Because you need it. Like you're scrabbling. Yeah. I think the hardest one to really justify is the Starks. Um, because the Starks and Nightwatch have such a good relationship. Oh yeah, they're pals. They're certainly buddies. So that that one might just be, in, I mean, it's a canonical thing. These are practice. These are <laughs> battle sorties. Yeah, you know, like, I actually don't think that's out of the realm of question. Particularly if you, depending on who the leaders are, like, my wife plays Starks. And uh, if she is running Rob Stark and I am running Jon Snow, who are brothers, I could very much see them going, Hey, bro, like, your your army hasn't really been fighting giants and stuff. Y'all look a little soft. You want some practice? And now it's like war games of who wins. But I don't think in the setting they would go to actual war with each other. Probably. But I think there's a justification for most things. Um, 
But on the tabletop, like how do they actually play? Uh, I think the the gist of the Night's Watch I've tried to put into like a, a solid one sentence description. The Night's Watch are an elite force of incredibly flexible warriors with good armor and rock solid leadership. I think that really describes the entirety of the force. All of them are expensive, but all of them are incredibly experienced compared to some of their competition. Uh, if you have manned that wall for any amount of time or ranged out beyond it, which is also part of their job, is to go into the frozen north to scout it out and for days at a time and try to make it back alive, uh, you are going to become a badass whether you want it or not. And on the table, every one of their units is banger. Uh, even from just like the base infantry called a sworn brother, these are the normal guys who are who have just taken their vows and have their armor. Uh, these guys hit like a truck and have an order, uh, I think it's called martial proficiency, where they can just reroll all their dice and make their opponent vulnerable because they are that good that if they square up with you, they have had so much practice that they are probably just going to outskill you. So they're going to get rerolls, they're going to throw you off your guard, and they're going to chop you down with these big two-handed swords. They're terrifying. Yeah, you can't like one... One B one me bro, yeah. A unit I, of Knights uh, Watch versus basically any other faction. It's very tough. There are a few exceptions with some synergies, but like on the whole, they just kick ass. Uh, and same thing for like their uh, Archer Cav. They're expensive compared to some of the other things, but they hit consistency. They hit on like three pluses, meaning they hit as well as can be expected in the game. Uh, they have high movement because they are used to taking their horses up into these terrifying hellscapes and coming back alive, so a battlefield is nothing. And also, they ignore all terrain penalties. All of them. Because, again, they are used to taking these horses to places where they most people wouldn't make it back, much less someone on an animal, unless you are an expert at riding that horse. So things in the game that would cause huge problems and choke up your movement, cause you a bunch of damage, block all sorts of uh, sort of like maneuverability for an army and really choke you up. Your horse are, are just like, yeah, whatever. Dude, I could like front flip my horse over these spikes. Like, yeah, I'm in your back line. What's up? Um, I've been driving this Honda Accord since I was like 14 years old. I am the perfect man to drift these proverbial roots. Yeah, this horse Civic has VTAC, so uh, you never had a chance, dude. Uh, sorry. This horse has VTAC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I got the horses of the Night's Watch are kind of like Honda Civics. They aren't fancy, but they're very reliable, they get great mileage, and they will run forever. Love that realization. But, yeah, you're generally speaking, you're going to pay a lot for each of your units, but each of your units is going to do great. Um, whether that is, you know, like I said, Sworn Brothers, whether that's your Archer Cav, whether that is your Veterans of the Watch, who are the old men who have been at the wall for like 20 years, that like everyone they fight has minus one to hit them because they just out-sword skill everyone, and they get counterattacks for every time you swing at them and miss, they stab you. Uh, so 
sometimes like I normally I will take these veterans and just put them in the middle and people will attack them. They will roll like eight dice to attack them. I will take one wound and one guy will go down. And because of Counter-Strike, the enemy will take five wounds. <laughs> Oops. It's incredible. You you just, like, out-trade people a lot of the time, which is incredible. And that also is sort of their downside, also, is that you can get outnumbered. You know, you are very elite, and every unit does really well, but... With those expensive points means you don't often have a lot of activations. So if someone really comes in to swarm the board, it's going to be tough for you to try to keep up. Which, you know, just like the lore, when they're fighting the wildlings, it's not a matter of can you kill one wildling? Of course you can, if you're a Night's Watchman. But can you kill eight wildlings per guy? Ten wildlings, fifteen, twenty. Um, in the story, they get overwhelmed through numbers, and it's the same way on the table. Which I think is, like, I don't think is necessarily intentional, but I think is a beautiful byproduct of this, like, high points cost design. Uh, also, uh, in A Song of Ice and Fire, there's a lot of political machinations that go on with your uh, non-combat units sort of putting them on the sideboard. Yeah, it's very fun. Yeah, trying to do, like, political influence to change up the flow of the battle. Because, in, I mean, anyone who's watched the show or read the books knows that Half of this show is entirely political positioning. Probably more than half, if I'm being honest. Um, I mean, people end up dying who never lost a battle in the real world. Just because of politics. It's, it's insane how much it matters. And it also matters here. But, uh, for the Night's Watch, they don't really play a highly political game that does a lot of shenanigans or trickery. Uh, rather, they have NCUs that... Uh, more so directly affect the battlefield than most other factions. So if you're playing someone like Lannisters, uh, you're going to have NCUs, non-combat units, uh, but characters you put on the political board that cause all sorts of political shenanigans. You might have panic, you might have stealing people's cards out of their hand, you might have making them discard cards, um, all sorts of stuff that is very good, but is sort of tangential to the actual fight itself. Because that's the Lannisters' idea, is that they just suffocate you politically or ruin you through terror and attrition. Yeah, it's kind of like the main crux of who they are. I don't think Nightwatch is very much that way, though. No, but uh, what the Night's Watch do is instead, they of course have non-combat units, but they more so directly affect the battlefield outright. Uh, so so they're for more example, like strategists instead of like politicians. Yeah, so like you have... Uh, my go-to is always Maester Aemon. Uh, he's like this old man who is a essentially a doctor whose specialty is healing, and he could stitch up a lot of your dudes and put them back into the fight. Uh, so <laughs> my, my favorite unit is this old man doctor full of all this ragtag assholes. <laughs> yeah, he's just like sticking them together with super glue, sending them out there. He's so good. Uh, he could... Your unit at max is 12 guys. He can heal six of them up in one activation. If the situation is right, it's incredible. What a man. It's incredible. So all of a sudden, your elite guys that are very expensive and really hurt when one of them die are coming back in large numbers, which is very good. It allows you to really grind out some games that you were going to lose. 
But again, he's affecting the battlefield directly rather than sort of tangentially politically. Uh, also, you have Awful Yarwick, who's a... God, he's so cool. Uh, so the wall, as you can imagine, has siege engines on it. Now, you know, big ballista and catapults, depending on what's coming, especially yeah. for the monsters. Like, you've got to have a ballista or something. And there are a number of these that have to be maintained all the time. But in the books, there is one grizzled old man who is sort of like the captain of all of the siege builders, and that is Othel Yarwick. And he is an old, like, sort of hunched-over man with a cane who walks around, but he has forgotten more about Ballista than you ever will learn in your life. So... Uh, is he Ballista guy? Is he like he's, Ballista kid? He's Ballista man. Yeah, he is. But cool. Actual cool. <laughs> God, he doesn't talk about him a lot. He just shoots him really well. Now that's a badass. <laughs> uh, and you could put Othel Yarwick in your army as an NCU. And when you put him on the political board, Othel Yarwick doesn't go talk to anybody politically or try to start scheming. Uh, when you take a zone, he... From off the table, a ballista bolt will come flying over the horizon and smash your enemy because he just shot it from three miles away. And depending on what zone you take will change what kind of bolt he shoots to give it different effects. So, like, you are in the shit attacking an enemy and then from out of the horizon, a six-foot-long arrow hits the enemy, kills half their unit, while Othel's looking through a telescope somewhere. Thumbs up at you going, huh, huh, it's good. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, it's so cool. Again, he influences the battlefield directly. No sort of uh, hopping around. Or like Gior Bormont. Uh, Gior is the, fir is the 997th uh, High Commander of the Night's Watch. Uh... He has been doing this for a long time, uh, and really his skill is his knowledge of the vowels and all of the tricks of the trade. So it, it, he isn't like Othel, who is hypo-specialized into one skill. Rather, he kind of has seen it all and knows how to work the brothers themselves to get the most out of them. So um, I'm going to talk about it in a second, but Gior allows you to take these buff cards that you play on your units and swap them around between units to make sure that wherever you need a bonus, you will get that bonus. Because he will just make sure it's going to happen. You know, if you have a buff card on unit A, but you really need it all the way across the battlefield on unit C, and you're like, damn, I, should, I wish it wasn't on guy A, play uh, Gior. He will transfer the buff. It, like, he will swap brothers around, and you will get it where you need it. Which, again, direct battlefield influence and a lot of flexibility. Because it's hard to make a hyper-specialized list with Nightwatch, so you're just sort of taking all comers. And those buff cards. Now, that's one of the things that might be my favorite little tidbit of the Night's Watch. Um, so, in A Song of Ice and Fire, you get a hand of cards that uh, you can play to influence the game. And for most factions, those cards are kind of one and done. You play it down, it says, you get X bonus. Cool, that card gets discarded. The Night's Watch, though, all of their... Well, I won't say all, but a vast majority of their cards are vows. <laughs> Remember how I said that vow thing was coming back? 
so their tactics cards, you can take a vow and their lines from the vow itself. Uh, you know, like I am the sword in the darkness. I am the shield that guards the realms of men. Those are two different cards. But you play these vows on a unit and they have an immediate effect saying, you know, you get X or Y bonus when you play this card. But if it's a Nightwatch unit, attach this vow to them for the rest of the game. You know, they take this vow. And then for the rest of the game, they get a constant benefit depending on what the vow is. And you can stack these vows, you can split them up, you can use Geor to move them around, and they are good buffs. Like, these are not little piddly things. These are good. Uh, one of them, for example, is... Uh, you know, play this card, you get to, I can't remember, is it the shield that guards the realms of men? Um, yes, so shield that guards the realms of men. After you make a save roll, you can play the card. Reroll all failed save dice. <laughs> Reroll them all. It's so valuable on a elite unit. Then, for the rest of the game, every time that unit is attacked, you block plus one hit automatically. So now you are making that unit tankier permanently, and significantly so. It is bonkers good. And uh, it really, like, the idea of being outnumbered and sort of outmanned, this is how you fight back. You play these cards uh, cleverly to make your already elite dudes punch even higher above their weight class. To where they can 2v1 when you need them to. And I love it. Uh, I think the implementation of this mechanic is absolutely delightful. And especially for the Night's Watch, it's incredibly flavorful. Uh, and I think the last thing I want to talk about is... Uh, like, I think we all know factions in games where, like, you start the game and then really... The goal of some factions in war games is to, like, get the aggression going turn one and two. And if you don't win by then, you're going to die, right? Yeah, that's, that's pretty common. Yeah, it's Especially a, in factions I play. Yeah, it's certainly an archetype. Like, you know, hyper-aggression, turn one, turn two, overwhelming pressure. But if you can survive that, you know, eh, you might be in trouble. Night's Watch is kind of the opposite. Um... Oh boy, howdy are they. <laughs> yeah, so it's not necessarily like, ah, uh, I'll wait till turn six, but it is, uh, I mentioned how in the books they sometimes win battles that it looks like they shouldn't. They have done that a lot for me. A ton. Even against highly experienced players. Multiple Around times. like turn three, they kind of like, there's like a pivot moment and they can capitalize on that pivot moment if you've been positioning well for the first two turns. Yeah, the chips look very down, and you look very behind, and you probably are, but you will find a way to dump six dudes back in a unit. Now they're a 10-man unit. They're getting re-rolls. They're making an enemy vulnerable. They're activating multiple times. They're getting free charges. You got Ghost running off to grab an objective somewhere, and while you don't have a lot of guys left, you are taking the victory because they are just unbreakable. They are going to fight to the bitter end. And this faction has done that for me a lot. Enough that it's a pattern. Um, so this is a faction where if you're going to play it, I highly recommend you play these battles until the fat lady sings. 
until it is mathematically impossible to win, keep playing. Because they're like in the late stages, if you're clever, you can snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Especially if Jon Snow is your commander. Because God, he's good at that. He has a card, I think it's called It Will Not End Until My Death. Um, where let's say I have a unit of sworn swords and I have like Jon Snow and two guys standing. They're the only three alive. Everyone else has fallen over. And you would hack me. Uh, if I play this card, it is played when Jon Snow dies. So like you kill my unit. He's about to fall off the table. I play Jon's card. It says that I don't die. Instead, I attack you back in a desperate last stand. I get bonus dice to do it. And if I successfully kill you, I stay alive and ignore your attack for that turn. And that ability? Oh, buddy. Uh, it can really put you back in the driver's seat in a way your opponent might not be ready for. And it's so gratifying every time it happens. Um, if you're into, like, if you're a person who wants to play an early, early pressure faction, this one might not be for you. But if you're someone who wants to really fight for the objective and, like, try to hunt for that win, man, it's, it's a good feeling, especially against a highly skilled player when they're like, to hear them go, damn, like, I, I did not see that coming. It's very gratifying. And it's rewarding. If you like the more you learn the army, the more likely you are to pull this off. So, like, the more games I play, the more often I will see this path to victory later on in the game. And it's a great way to know that your experience is growing. So, highly recommend it. And again, like, just like all the other stuff, it fits right back to the books. That they know that some of them are going to die, but somebody is going to accomplish the goal. And for them, that's okay. It's like a death-based rally race. There are no other rally races, but yes. <laughs> rally dangerous. Um, so if I've given you this pitch, like, uh, you know, we've told you what they're like in the stories. We've told you how well they hit the stories, uh, sort of goals, um, like, I guess I'll quickly mention the downsides is like I said, if you're outnumbered as you often will be, that could really hurt, really, really hurt. And it also sounds like a faction that you really need to work on your positioning. Like if you position poorly, you will not succeed with this faction very often. You do. There's like, there's no hyper big mobility or anything or like redeploy shenanigans to save you. You have got to position well. And like uh, deployment probably as well. Yep. It's key. You've got to play the objectives. Uh, you can't just like go bonkers for murders. Uh, and also, the I think the faction is balanced, but I think internally there are units that are not compelling, which is unfortunate. Um, now, we are recording this in January of 2023. So like this very well could change and likely will. But there are a few units in the army that just do not pull their weight compared to others and which are not compelling to take, even if you have the models. Um, so, like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are some stuff like the Shadow Tower Spearmen, for example, that I love the models for, but I just I, there's yet to find a place where they're really compelling. Um, but 
balance passes will happen. This will probably change. Now that I've put it out in the world, it's probably going to change tomorrow. And I'm going to get comments that like, you're wrong. Like, yeah, man, I get it. So like, if I have pitched this to you and you're thinking, damn, I, I kind of want to be a, a, a forced incel and live up in the cold area on this wall. I want get that faction. Buy me a gambeson and a hand and a half sword. I'm going to that there cold wall. I won't have a wife, but I will get a cool black gambeson and I will get a big old dog. Like, <laughs> if that's a good trade for you. And all right, how do you get started? You know, if you're really into this action, how do you hop into it? Uh, in the luckily, it's super easy. It is maybe the easiest faction to get into. And I didn't know this at the time that I got them. So we have talked before on the show, but generally speaking, the starter boxes for A Song of Ice and Fire are great. They're wonderful. Uh, They're not just like a few models in a box that aren't nearly enough to like play a full game. Even the worst of them quote unquote, is still great and gives you over 30 points of models and 30 is like the small skirmish size of game. Cool. Night's Watch, however, out of the box, gives you over 40 points of models. 40 points is the tournament standard amount that people play. So you could open this box and walk up to a tournament with a full list. Straight out of the box. It also will give you dice, It will give you measuring sticks. It will give you full sets of terrain. It will give you all of the tokens you need. All of it. Straight out of just the Night's Watch starter box. Um, And in that box, you're going to get a bunch of great units that I use all the time. Sometimes my list is just basically the starter box with some extra, like, attachments or heroes thrown in. You're going to get two units of Sword Brothers, which are like the Blender Battle Line regular guys. They also look rad, but... Continue. They do. They look awesome. They're so, like, dynamic without being derpy. Uh, then you're going to get a unit of ranger tractors. Uh, these are those guys on the horse, on, like, the Honda Civic horses that <laughs> run around the battlefield with bows, sort of and shooting into people's flanks. And they pull weight? Y'all, they pull a lot of weight. They're yeah, just so I... fast that they could get in the flank and really make those arrows hurt. When I le- was learning the game, I was playing your Night Watch before I was like, confirmed I was going to play it and they those were so good they felt so good to use yeah I mean they don't hit really hard from the front but their speed and cavalry move means that you are going to get in the flank well and I think they in... also add up a lot of damage over the game like a lot of the time archers when I use them get like a turn of damage and then they get targeted really hard yes they can just go, no, you don't get to touch me. I have VTech, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're wonderful. I mean, they're going to put in work for you. I t- take them all the time. Um, more, uh, then you also get a unit of veterans, like ranger veterans, who are, again, as I've said before, tough as nails. Uh, and you can put an attachment in them, like core and half hand, shout out to that combo, and they are even tougher. They just don't die. They're incredible. Uh, they've won me so many games. And then you get a bunch of heroes that people are really into. I mean, you get Aim- Maester Eamon, who I talked about. You get Geor, who I talked about. You get Jon Snow himself. You get Ghost, his dire wolf. 
all in the box. It's really good. I like, I can't recommend it enough. If you're going to try to play Night's Watch, get the box. You're going to have a great time. Um, but I think outside of the box, you can grab one. I would recommend grabbing one or two units that seem cool to you. So you can have options to swap out. Uh, so if you're really into like foot archers, grab some ranger hunters. If you want to have a giant siege engine, grab a ballista or grab a catapult. You can put them on the table, slot them into your list. They're going to do pretty well. Um, also, the big recommendation for me is grabbing heroes boxes one and two. Uh, this will give you a whole bunch of extra heroes. It'll give you people like Donald Noy, who is an absolute badass. Corrin Halfhand. Uh, you'll get Cold Hands. You'll get Sam, Gilly. And, like, it's just great value. Great value for two little hero boxes. And it's, in addition to what's on the table, that will give you more options for attachments. It will give you more options for commanders. It will give you more options for NCUs. And with those handful of things, you damn near have the whole faction. <laughs> you have an incredible amount of variety, and you can just slowly add to it as you go. Uh, this is probably the easiest faction to get into, even if it isn't the easiest faction to play necessarily. I think that would probably go to Starks, but I don't know. It's hard to say. But if you are someone who is super into the idea of playing an elite unit that rewards very good strategic play, I think Night's Watch might be for you. And I hope that this has sort of worked for you guys to pitch the faction uh, and take all of the knowledge I've been able to put together and distill it. But uh, as I said before, we're going to be doing more of these for other factions that we play and that uh, we have friends who play. And uh, this format is not set in stone. So if you were listening to this and you went, man, like there's something I wish they talked about, send it to us. Love to talk about it. Uh, we more than open to changing it. However, would make it a little more digestible for everybody or to really encapsulate all of the question marks that people have for these factions. Because I know it can be hard to jump into a new one, especially if you're newer to a game. So you don't have a bunch of context around them. Yeah. So like we would love some feedback on this. Uh, two, he, I mean, as we said, this idea came from someone actually messaging us on Instagram. So we are obviously open to taking viewer ideas and actually turning them into a show. So like one shout out house lemur, <laughs> but two, if you have stuff you want to see more of messages, happy to do so. We put it on a list and we circle back around to it. Uh, and if you think this is for someone who's in your friend group or you think you can maybe pitch it to a buddy, send the show to them. We appreciate it. Like, subscribe, rate. You know the whole deal. But uh, we're in this new year and we're looking for new episode ideas and topics. And that's been our show. But we'll still be here. We'll see you next time. That's all. John, I did fucked up the outro. Oh no, oh no, joke. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, that's all of our Are ideas. Uh, Bonafide, uh, Kentucky Fried. God damn it, I want my giant horse and handed half sword. Uh, VTech, VTech horse. VTech, go. VTech, go. Bonafide, Kentucky Fried. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>